Hello, my name is Alexander Eri Laupma and you are listening to the Fotografiska Tallinn podcast. The Future of Belarus, Fueled by Women, is an exhibition by four Belarusian photographers documenting the protests in Belarus. The exhibition can be seen in our downstairs cafe at Fotografiska Tallinn until the 17th of December and after that it is going to move to Tartu, but if you can't catch it in person, then you can see the full exhibition on our website at fotografiska.com slash Tallinn. To talk about the topic, we have Volya Tchaikovskaya. I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly. She is a filmmaker from Belarus who also has a background in journalism. And we have Maris Helrand, a journalist from Estonia. My name is Volya Tchaikovskaya. I'm film producer and film director from Belarus. I graduated master's for master's degree in Baltic Film and Media School this August. So now I have a diploma of a director and a producer of a documentary film. Beforehand, I was uh, working in film industry as a self-taught professional. I have my bachelor in journalism, not in film. Yeah, well, I also run uh, for six years already Northern Lights Nordic Baltic Film Festival in Belarus that actually touches the topics of uh, social injustice, diversity, gender issues, etc. Belarusian topic apparently interests me because I'm myself Belarusian um, and I have, I'm Bel- Belarusian speaking Belarusian, which is not unfortunately a very uh, <laughs> often phenomena. Um, and I have been since my childhood, I have, have been always very active in terms of political life. I'm very interested and I've been always interested in protecting the weaker. And uh, I saw Belarusian uh, language when I was a kid. I saw Belarusian language as a, something that has to be protected because it's weaker and it's underused and underdeveloped. Um, and nowadays, um, after the events of 9th of August, when the presidential elections happened, the, the whole situation with Belarus for for inside Belarus and for the whole world has changed dramatically. I think the awareness about what is going on in Belarus um, uh, increased so much. Yeah, I think I'm getting lost in my thoughts because I have so much to say. That is okay. You can keep going as for as long as you like. It's like uh, get everything off your chest. It's it's a good way to start, I think. Yeah, yeah. But um, um, the presidential elections in Belarus on the 9th of August, they followed um, by so much violence from the state, from Lukashenko regime, um, that I think nobody could have stayed like indifferent. And um, I got involved um, in, in, in a so-called situational activism when 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 there is like an urgent situation and you have to act qu- quick like here in Tallinn we did a lot of like events to support uh, political prisoners in Belarus to support uh, people who fight for freedom in Belarus and also in what I do in my professional life I also touch uh, the issues of injustice and dictatorship in Belarus uh, also it concerns the project uh, that I'm working now as a director, which is about women in Belarusian revolution. And also it concerns the films that I produced previously. So it's, yeah, it's been always something that um, to change uh, the situation in Belarus for better, it has been always on my table. Okay, beautiful. Uh, Maris? Yes, I'm uh, Maris Elrand. I'm a freelance journalist. I have never been to Belarus, but... Uh, uh, really, it, the topic uh, touches me uh, strongly through uh, mainly two aspects, maybe. The first one being that 
as someone who grew up during the singing revolution here and uh, witnessed the end of the Soviet Union and uh, and the way that uh, Estonia developed after that and uh, seeing how Belarus was um, really left behind, left uh, trapped in the old Soviet system. This is something that nags you at the back of your head and is always has always been also a, a great reminder that we can't take uh, a democracy and the achievements of uh, freedom for granted, that we have to keep fighting for those. And um, the second aspect, perhaps, uh, is that I have, as a journalist, I have covered the Estonian reaction to the events in Belarus because this has not been uh, homogeneous. It has uh, it has been uh, layered with uh, with uh, issues that we are facing in our society ourselves, which means that we have a far right populist party in the government who has very different sentiments towards uh, uh, freedom and democracy and the, the development going on in Belarus. And thus, I have uh, sort of researched this um, topic for uh, for some of my uh, broadcasting and uh, writing. And uh, the third aspect, perhaps, is that uh, since uh, eighteen months, I'm a sort of a street activist myself in uh, in Estonia because I'm uh, very, very worried about uh, the tendencies of, um, of uh, the current government in going after the rights of minorities and undermining Estonia's uh, position uh, in the Western alliances. So uh, the sort of uh, looking at, uh, at what happened in Belarus on one hand is something that fills, fills uh, me with hope that people actually after these long decades of uh, oppression uh, find the courage and find the power to raise up against uh, against authoritarian regimes and at the same time it fills me, me with uh, amazement and uh, fear to see to witness how uh, people in Estonia where we have had the privilege of freedom for 30 years um, actually have lost the feeling of urgency of that or have lost have lost the ability to to really uh, see the value of this I, by which I mean that like uh, uh, the sentiment when you listen to afternoon vox pops on public radio where people call in and say oh well what what do you nag about Belarus everything is fine there people have work and people have uh, bread and there are no drug addicts on the streets etc so this um, uh, nostalgia for uh, the Soviet hard hand author- authoritarian regime is something that is truly, truly scary. And that has all some sort of emerged uh, through the developments in Belarus. And what do you see is the role of the journalist and what is the role of an artist uh, in situations like this? And why has it taken so long for this uh, to come to this? Because Lukashenko has been in power for basically almost as long as I've been born, he has been in power. And and since everybody, at least in Estonia and everybody that I know, everybody's so used to the fact that he's there and it's just like, oh, that's just the way it is, then I don't even know like if there have been popular uprisings, how much activists try to do something about the situation there. Because this is the first time when, like in my life, when I remember it, like, oh, it's actually something is happening. So what is the role of the artist? What is the role of the journalist? And uh, and how has it come to this uh, 
in 2020? Yeah, it's a good question, uh, since I have uh, a background in journalism as well. <laughs> well, I think for both, uh, the major thing at the moment is to raise awareness for sure, for sure. And this is what I'm trying to do, um, like with all possible means. Uh, for for myself as an artist and as a film director and producer, I think it's also a tricky question because you kind of in the situation, like I quitted all my creative activities in August and for several months, uh, months I was just uh, entirely engaged in social activism. And it's at a certain point I realized that, oh my God, I'm, I'm completely abandoning what I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm doing uh, usually in my life, so to say. But on the other hand, it should it for me it kind of goes in coherence, and I um, get also inspiration from this um, social anger. Uh, it gives energy to move on and like to fight, and also it inspires. And um, this is something urgent that the art should also touch. And when it comes to, for example, visual arts in Belarus, there there were many graphic art already created. And actually here in Teleskivia, there is like a, a little exhibition of Belarusian uh, radical art dedicated to our fight for, for justice. But when it comes to film, for example, where I work, it's the production is a little bit longer. So it's still now in progress. And I think there will be many, many films, both documentaries and fictions that cover Cover this um, uh, the issues uh, and events that are happening uh, now in Belarus. I'm sure there will be an avalanche at some point of different. Uh, the same, um, it's the same as it was with Ukraine after Maidan. So the role of the artist for me is to raise awareness and to to inspire people for um, and to spread information. That's for sure to inspire people for. For, for to not give up because also now since the the rev- revolution and the protests in Belarus they last already for more than 100 days people are quite exhausted in a way and of course the the state uses different manipulations also in the media saying that the protest is fading away and uh, yeah it doesn't lead anywhere and it's just all bullshit but um, this is not true and I think all the people who are taking part part in protests there are many um, very many of them and um, they are really dedicated and passionate and uh, this is what art should also do nowadays um, to give this fuel for people to keep on protesting I guess. Well uh, again uh, in parallel to um, some historic events that took place in Estonia 30 years ago Journalists and artists were the leading force of the change of the fight for freedom. It was uh, it was a journalist uh, Johanara who started the, the anti-phosphorite uh, movement, which was a uh, sort of actually the embryonic uh, freedom movement uh, or the first uh, the first uh, movement social protest that did draw uh, massive massive public support and actually. Uh, engaged people as as well as uh, as uh, artists uh, with the law to the plenum where uh, where the um, sort of the creative community took the took the lead so uh, uh, and it in a way it's of course uh, the question why why didn't it happen in belarus uh, earlier but uh, there at the same time we have um, we have because we have these kind of artists from belarus who have been outspoken about about these issues 
over all these decades. You take uh, Svetlana Alexievich uh, as a, on a very prominent position, or uh, or even um, I think in music and film at least there are have all have been independent um, sort of underground uh, artists uh, working, but it never it hasn't until now it didn't lead to uh, a big. Uh, wave of public protest. Yeah, and uh, that's absolutely absolutely right. Just to give you some names, uh, probably you mean like uh, from the film world, you mean Yuri Hoshivatsky, who who did this documentary, which is called Ordinary President, about how Lukashenko came to power. Uh, and there is um, a performance artist and visual artist, Marina Prushkina. She, she escaped to... Berlin several years ago. She is also very active, and there is also Belarus Free Theater, which is in exile in London, and they are very active, um, touching and tackling uh, so sensitive taboo topics in Belarus, both political and social. So there are artists, of course, but this has been always like underground, and I think um, for people from the outside, it's very hard. Exactly as you said, to grasp why, what is the difference now? Why now it has become so active? And I would say that here, uh, when you look at the whole situation in Belarus, it's really, it's actually really hard to put into words. But I would metaphorically or poetically say that people uh, had enough of being treated as slaves and as like animals, that the state doesn't really consider them as human beings. And um, maybe it's it's hard to understand for people, even in the Baltic states, because you, you gain your freedom uh, like 30 years ago, and you kind of got used to it. Um, but for us, it's still like the fight for very, very, very basic rights. It's not like an advanced fight for democracy or some sort of improvement or, or, or whatever gender issues, you know, like people don't even think about gender issues so much in Belarus. We just fight for us being treated as humans, you know, to or for us to be heard. And maybe it's hard to understand because it's so basic. I think uh, what you said before that we have gotten used to rights, I think we've gotten too used to our rights. And uh, I think you might agree with that or something you said before, like kind of uh, ring true for me because it's seeing the way that we're going right now, it, it feels like that we've forgotten why people have fought so hard to gain some uh, some freedoms in the first place. But uh, with with social activism, for me, it's always, it's like a double-edged sword. There is like a kind of social activism that works and that seems righteous and true and, and the way to like move society forward. But there is, it always feels like it's so easy to go overboard and just be like an activist for activism's sake, if you know what I mean. And and especially with artists, it's always a, such a big question for me, because you said that you haven't done any of your artistic work since August. And I feel it's because artistic people are often uh, much more passionate than uh, non-artistic people. And so when you have a cause to fight for, you're willing to just give up everything just to fight for that cause. But it so often feels... And I'm not saying this is the case with you or with this uh, these protests, but it so often feels that it's so easy to just become an activist. And at some point you can't even like 
understand anymore if if your activism is actually doing anything good or you're just because you're expanding so much energy you feel like oh I'm just being super proactive and I'm doing things but you don't know if there's any like a social effect and so my question would be like how do you how can you like gauge that how can you know that that you're being uh, your activism has um has an effect and not just a negative effect <laughs> well uh, that's uh, that's a question that has been troubling me <laughs> for 18 months what is my sort of uh, measurement of uh, of what i'm doing what is uh, what is a measurement if i get like uh, uh, 30 people to uh, attend a protest is that a success in itself because it isn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't change the situation or it doesn't change the path where the authorities are going But then, uh, if you don't do it, you feel that you've just given up in advance already. So there's uh, there's literally no choice, actually, not to not to do it. But of course, it's uh, it's critical to assess and say, like, okay, today I've spent uh, I don't know three hours just. Uh, just doing this activism stuff and it gives you adrenaline and you feel like all pumped up and uh, in the end of the day what has come out of it probably nothing ten, uh, nine times out of ten but then uh, at the tenth time something comes out of it maybe you can trigger a uh, social media flash mob something or uh, something something to get under the skin of the authoritarian rulers if you if you get under their skin that's already uh, result that is good enough and it's like you never know what is the like the small very very small thing that you do that that is going to tip the scale to the other side right but we and it's it's yeah because because you have the exact same problem that i do because it's it's something that i've been questioning for a long time as well and when i see that there is something wrong or there is like a, hypo, a hypocrisy somewhere i feel i have to address it but when i feel like some somebody else is addressing the opposite point and i'm saying like no actually it's not like that and i don't agree with you then at some point i feel like nobody's changing their minds because the people who are on the other side they're not going to change their minds and the people who already agree with me already agree with me anyway so me saying what i'm going to say is not going to change anything and so oftentimes it feels especially for an artist i think like and I, again i don't know it's a big question for me and that, that's why i'm asking it's it oftentimes feels that for an artist maybe to continue doing your art in some socially provocative way is a better thing to do better uh, better thing to do than just activism because you know that at least you put your like artistic potential in there but with activism there is always this question of, like am i just creating more anti whatever it is that i am doing yeah well <laughs> that's a good point as well uh that's why like i started to feel bad after several months of not doing anything related to to my profession and to art that's why i decided okay now now i really have to start doing something and it's been already like some somehow in progress but in a very latent way and the 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 good thing is that when you are doing some sort of activism there is always a lot of people around you and when you are when you're a little bit like laying back or like stepping aside or something like that to do some other stuff because life is going on i mean uh, especially for people who have kids for example or some other obligations i mean you can it's hard to be constantly engaged so um Uh, other people take over and it's like kind of like a 
public uh, common responsibility and solidarity and that it's not about uh, only one person to be like a leader, but it's about like, you know, passing on this kind of leader's uh, position so that everybody can learn how to be a leader, how to how to inspire people, how to organize things. Uh, sometimes it's frustrating because if you don't have time to pass on your knowledge about how to organize or whatever, then the person who is taking over has to learn um, everything from the scratch. But this is part of uh, of this of this whole thing that you know people are learning uh, by doing, <laughs> and um, this is also good because this gives them a lot of uh, independence, I guess. And um, for me, this is also part of of um, democracy. I think there's no um, sharp uh, borderline between activism and art because a lot of this activism actually comes with uh, so, uh, these uh, moments of spark when you come up. I mean, depending on which which uh, field of art you work, but uh, you come up with a, with a great uh, punchline, with a great copy. It's art. There's, uh, so it's it's quite fluid, I think. And looking at the exhibition... Each and every of these pictures is is a piece of art, and it wouldn't have happened without this activism taking place. So it's it's kind of a, a, a fluid situation. I, I don't think it's one or the other. And also the question of you know mixing it like as a journalist, I ask myself that and others do. Are you a journalist or are you an activist? Are you a politically engaged? I think, first of all, I'm a citizen. And as a citizen, that's my obligation to uh, stand up for the rights uh, and to fight for democracy. Only after that, I'm a journalist and I'm able to report. But, I mean, put yourself as a journalist into the, in, in, I mean, to bring it to uh, the extreme. As a journalist, you are being sent to cover events in a concentration camp. What do you do? Are you just going to be a neutral journalist, report, doing a balanced report? How does that balance report look like? First, you are a human being and a citizen, and only then you are an artist or a journalist or a doctor. Yeah, I agree here. It's very much about values. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, artist or somebody else. I mean, you have your values and you do whatever you do uh, based on these values. Uh, I have a very good example about how activism and even political activities can be part of art or even very artistic sometimes. Uh, when I was interviewing Svetlana Tsikhanovska for my film project, she's a, an elected the elected leader uh, of Belarus who was competing competing with Lukashenko in this presidential rally and uh, she won uh, and um, she was kicked out of the country basically. Now she's in exile in Vilnius and uh, with her team, which is like a lot of people, more than 80 people in her headquarters, they work for the sake of uh, justice and fighting the dictator's regime in Belarus. Uh, so when I was interviewing her, she told me about how she wrote one of her most peculiar speeches that she uh, gave uh, in um, in Karpacz in Poland, uh, Davos uh, Economical Forum. Uh, she didn't have, it was her first public speech ever, and she didn't have a chance to prepare the speech. And she said that I was so stressed out and it was like, a, in a way, very good situation for my brain to think quick. And um, she understood that she needed to give some sort of like a gratitude speech or something like that for the award. 
but um, nothing, uh, nothing like interesting came to her mind until the last minute when she realized that she just has to say something that this award not only belongs to her, but to the whole Belarusian community and everybody in Belarus. And she put it into words in a very poetic way. She said, I'm not Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya. I'm every single person in Belarus. I'm a kid of a father who decided to go for a strike today. I'm a, I'm a teacher in school who decided for the first time to not falsificate the elections. I'm, um, I'm a worker who is taking risk and also going for a strike and for protests. I'm a woman who put like a white ribbon on her wrist to show that we are many and so on and so forth. So this is poetry. Like this is absolutely poetry. And I think this is beautiful. This, yeah. yeah I think perhaps if I'm right, then one of the reasons why situations go so far why situations go so far that people have to go on the streets, they have to protest for months and months and months, is because when people had a chance years and years and years ago, they didn't say no. They didn't say, like, I'm not okay with this, I'm not going to let this happen. Because when very small things happen, you know, you think like, oh, this doesn't bother me or it it doesn't consider me, so I I can just go on with my life and, you know, nothing's going to happen. I don't have to think about it. And small things like that keep happening over the years and then one day you wake up and you live in a dictatorship, you know? And uh, so because of the situation that we are in in uh, our country and pretty much the whole world is in a very, very strange situation right now, like you can't point to very many countries that feel like, oh, it's a super safe place to be and democracy is guarded and it's, it's sketchy everywhere. So what is the thing that everyone can do today in their own country do not let it get to that place. Because everybody thinks, when you live in a democracy, everybody thinks like, oh, it's not going to happen here. Things like that can't, ha- can't happen here. And even we in Estonia that have a very long history of abuse, let's say, we still think, oh, it can't happen again. It, that, that was in the past. Like It's a bit uh, different. I think I, it, my advice would, uh, would sound quite uh, funny to, to your ears, Olya. <laughs> but first thing I would say, go vote. <laughs> in Belarus, you'd, People didn't have the privilege of their vote to be counted, but uh, we still do. So go vote because the the demographics of uh, of uh, voters uh, is that determines the elections. The young people don't go and vote. It's it was the pensioners who uh, who decided uh, Brexit against the, the wishes of the young generation who is going to have to pay for it. And exactly the same thing is happening here if we look at the demographics. Um, so go vote. Yeah. yeah and uh, from my side, I would say that to go and vote for the right things, <laughs> you have to be very conscious and very aware. So I think it's always good to to widen your your perspective and to develop your tolerance and to to try to get as much information as possible and from different sources and to really um, think of this information that you are getting uh, independently, like on your own. That's that's the major thing. And being conscious, I mean, also not only on a political level, but also like on a human level, 
to talk about different complicated topics. It also concerns, like for example, parents. I think also many things that uh, uh, that are expressing themselves uh, or or itself in um, a political life. They come from families, and I think it very much also there is an interesting dynamic about how how parents uh, raise their kids. It impacts so much uh, further on or later on the the political uh, life. So I think this parents-children relationship um, should be reconsidered and <laughs> kids should be uh, and teenagers should be treated as grown-ups as well and uh, they should uh, parents should talk to each other and uh, talk to their kids on a like a grown-up level about different things um, and also like this taboo topics I guess they like death sex um uh, yeah, what is, I don't know, whatever, what is right or what is wrong, uh, who is Trump or who is Lukashenko, whatever was going on, on uh, uh, in Ecuador or something like that. Uh, this topic should be should be discussed in the fa- in like inside the families, then this will change the world. Yeah, I feel like uh, we have when you live in a quote unquote free society and you have rights then one of the main things that people who are born into a society like this they don't understand that when you have a right you also have a responsibility to protect that right so when you have a right to vote and you decide not to vote then it means like you're not protecting that right to carry on when you have the freedom of speech but you don't use your freedom of speech when you think like oh I'm not going to say that because it's uncomfortable then every time you make a choice like that you basically diminish that right for everyone else because it gets easier and easier and easier to take it away. But when your life is comfortable, it's so easy to let all of that go. And the the moment we understand it is usually when it's too late or when it's like really, really close to getting away. Absolutely. But I think one topic, I don't know if you had this planned, but, but I would be really interested in Volia's opinion. Why it's the women? Why are women so vis- visibly present in the, in the protests on the street at uh, in, in the political level why well uh, it's a very good question <laughs> um, I, I my my theory is that Belarusian women are very responsible and sometimes they are much more responsible than men and they try to take responsibility sometimes even if it's not needed <laughs> because they want to take care of things and they want to improve things um also belarusian women like they they live in a, in a society where they are so much actually suppressed and belarusian society is so patriarchal uh so they always have to be like alert and and super present to not anyone kind of use them or um, offends them or something like that. So like those women who are conscious about this, like patriarchal tendencies and everything, they are, they are also, they are very responsible. So they are trying to, to use any moment to fight. Also, I think the point is that we have it, uh, this phenomenon, it is called in, in, in Russian, it's called syndrome tlichnitsy. In English, it's called, I don't know how to actually exactly translate it, but it's syndrome of, um, uh, I don't know, of an excellent student or something like that. You know, when you have, you always want to do your best, like, and you, you try to prove that you are worthy something. And I think this is also some somehow it fuels Belarusian revolution that 
as I said, that we are not slaves, we are worthy, we are fighting for it. And yeah, that's why women are so present. But it takes a lot of courage as well, because the the reaction of Oman is extremely violent and dangerous. It is, it is. And uh, just to, I don't know, uh, I think it's also worth uh, mentioning that Amon, Belarusian police, uh, military forces, they are actually super violent. They beat people, they rape people in prison, men and women. There was um, a report in uh, lately in Swedish uh, media, um, not a report, but just like an article of uh, an interview with one woman who suffered uh, severe rape when she was detained. They raped her like Uh, with um, with a truncheon, like it's horrible, and uh, and there are many many cases like that. And um, but still, still Belarusian people they they say that those who protest and those who 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 are sol- um, who uh, express solidarity, they they say that there is no fear. There is no fear that because we are together, we support each other. There is no fear, and we would never ever forget what has been done to our people. This is very important, and I think maybe it's important also to not, to mention that there are, um, like in the media, uh, on the on the internet, there are different resources where you can actually go and uh, read um, firsthand about what is going on in Belarus. For example, there is a website which is called Voices of Belarus. Uh, with um, evidences of people who uh, went, um, who were put in jail and then uh, were let out, who were raped, who were abused in different ways. So there are other stories on the internet. There is also a project which is called August 2020.org, where they also um, collect stories of people who were abused by Belarusian police. And it's also, yeah, this is, it's super touching. Maris, because you brought up the issue of women, uh, it reminded me of something that my father once told me and it was the first thing I remembered when I saw this uh, exhibition. Uh, My father was also very interested in politics and geopolitics and all that kind of stuff and made me very interested in it at a very young age. He taught me years and years ago that uh, it's very easy to get young men to get on the streets because they're full of testosterone. Usually uh, young men are the uh, population with uh, the least amount of uh, occupations, the least amount of work. So most people out of work are usually young men and it's very, very easy to get young men angry at something, protesting at something and so on. And so when you have, when you see on the news uh, like photos of or videos of uh, protests and you only see young men, then you can never be certain that it's like Uh, truthful protest. It can be just that somebody has been uh, able to manipulate young men into protesting. But when you see women on the streets, then you always know that it, it has to be authentic because women don't, they don't just get on the street streets because they're a bit annoyed or they don't have a job. Like to get women on the streets, you actually something has to be fucked up. Uh, it's serious. For, yeah, it's serious. It's like, then, you know, it's the real thing. Yeah, I mean, um, Lukashenko said once that Belarusian constitution is not made for women or is not uh, that is not meant to be for women. And I think Belarusian women became so angry because of that, because uh, b- uh, the majority of uh, people in Belarus who can vote, which is more than 55 percent, are women. And and come on, how can you talk to your potential electorate like that? <laughs> so maybe uh, the last question right now would be, what is the one thing that uh, people should know or that people should think about or 
how to get people, if they're not interested, why should they be interested? And if they are interested, what is the thing to do? How can you act? How Or how can you just live your life day to day uh, to not let things like that happen? With regards to uh, Belarus, I think Estonians um, should take every opportunity to show their solidarity. Come and look at this exhibition, go to the to the demonstrations and events that uh, Belarusian um, uh, activists organize in Estonia. Read about it and and think about this topic because this is uh, exactly serves as a as a very uh, timely reminder to us that we can't take our our freedom and democracy for granted and uh, we have to keep fighting for it just as they do and looking at the length and at the personal risks that people are are ready to take there i think we should be ashamed if we let uh, things um, uh, if we let uh, if we let go of our freedom well yeah yeah i would say that it's always important to to step out of your comfort zone in all ways uh, and um, getting to know about someone fighting for basic rights or fighting for, or against injustice and for democracy and learning about how they do it is exact and this makes you feel uncomfortable because it's a, such a such a sensitive subject and I think this is something that makes your it develops your soul as a human being and it makes you more compassionate and more empathetic um, yeah I think that empathy should be taught, taught in schools actually <laughs> so yeah yeah that's the, go out of your comfort zone that's the major thing okay beautiful perhaps in six months we can have another discussion because I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours about this topic. Uh, but perhaps we can see in a few months the situation change or maybe we can't. But uh, perhaps next year we can have a new discussion and uh, hopefully uh, have something new to talk about. So thank you both very, very much for coming. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>